Welcome to Embrace Your Weird. I am Lisa Jacob, and this is the place where we talk about authenticity, anxiety, and what happens when we decide to stop acting. Hello. Thank you for joining me once again here in my closet. I I am super excited about this episode. When I first started thinking about doing a podcast, this was one of the first ideas that I had about um, a topic and something that I wanted to do. So you guys know that I record all of this from my closet jammed in here. Um, I don't have a very big closet, but um, it's apparently good for the sound. So this is where I do it. And you guys also know that I am never alone when I do this. My dog, Olive, is also shoved in here with me. She's uh, curled up underneath all my shirts, getting a ton of dog hair on all my clean clothes. And today, I also have another special guest in the closet with Olive and I. So it's extra crowded, um, but I think it's going to be worth it. So I have known this person for, we were doing the math the other day. I think it's 22 years, something like that. We have been together as a couple for uh, about 17 years and married for 13, I think. So like there's a little bit of history here. So, all right. Um, do you want to say hi? Do you want to introduce yourself? What is your name, sir? Uh, hi, this is Jeremy. I'm Lisa's husband. And we've been together for a long time. It suddenly seems improbable that, like, we have only just now done our first podcast. <laughs> we should have started doing this long ago. I should have been interviewing you all <laughs> along. I've been in some of the books. You have been in both of the books. Yes. Prominent roles in both books. <laughs> Good. Makes me sound like a fictional character. <laughs> no, no, you're very real. You're very real. And you're very here. And I'm really happy that you're here. It's really strange to to interview your spouse. But I had this idea because I um so I do these speaking events and um I, I talk about having anxiety and inevitably at almost everyone Somebody will stand up and say, like, I don't have anxiety, but my spouse does, or my friend does, or my kid does. So what do I do to help them, support them? Which I think is kind of one of the most amazing things ever, that like somebody who doesn't have anxiety would go to a talk about anxiety to support somebody else. And so I think those are incredibly amazing people. But I, I never really have a great answer for that. And so this is why I wanted to talk to Jeremy. I never use his real name. I never call him <laughs> Jeremy. Is that a thing? Like, do other people call their spouses by their given names? So anyway, he will hereby be known as Babe. Good enough, Babe. Good enough, Babe. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about, um, well, for one, what it's like to be fairly anxiety-free. I married somebody who has 
very little anxiety. I married somebody who is pretty calm and cool and collected and very, very level-headed. I mean, you you have plenty of other faults. <laughs> Are we going to get into those? I can list those. Maybe that's bonus content. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) But for now, um, I I won't get into the other faults, and we'll just talk about the fact that he has very little anxiety. I feel anxious about all the dog hair that's getting on the clothes. So I think you should know that this is is not necessarily unusual, that uh, that babe spends this much time hanging out in my closet because uh, you should know that this is a man who does all the laundry. Not only does he do the laundry, he folds the laundry and puts my laundry away. I know. Mostly, yeah. It's It soothes me for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> I, I find it very comforting. Lucked out. <laughs> Anyway, so he's probably more familiar with the organization of my closet than I am. So um, anyway, he's not that uncomfortable in here. But okay, so let's get to the topic of the podcast, which is what it's like to live with somebody who has anxiety and maybe some tips on, on how to do that and how to be a good supportive spouse. Because by the way, you're a good supportive spouse and not just because of the laundry. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So I I think I want to start by us telling the story of our first date. So I'll start telling the story, and you feel free to jump in. Okay. So uh, Jeremy and I, Babe and I, had uh, known each other for about four years. We had been friends for a while. And we met because, uh, you guys know, I used to be an actor, and I did... A movie called Beautician and the Beast. Thank goodness for that movie. Thank goodness for that movie. Classic duo of Timothy Dalton and Fran Drescher. And in that movie, I worked with a guy named Tim, who I maybe dated a little bit, but we're just going to gloss over that part. Anyway, he and I remained friends after the movie was over, and I started hanging out with all of his friends, a group which included his roommate. That was me. Yes, that was you. So we were friends for about four years, and one night I drank too much wine, (laughs) and we made out. It really worked out well. (laughs) It really (laughs) worked out. It's amazing that that is is an origin story that goes well. I think most of the time it doesn't go well, but somehow for us it worked out. I think we're giving hope to all the kids out there. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) I don't know exactly what we're promoting, but um, anyway. So the next day, I get a phone call from Jeremy asking me out on an official date. So being a strong, independent woman of 22 years of age, I decide, like, I, I'm i not going to have this dude pick me up. Like, I'm going to drive myself to this date. And where, where was I going? Uh, we were going to the Mark Taper Forum for the opening night of a play, and I can't remember the name of the play right now. It had uh, John Spencer in it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember and, the name of the play. Yeah. And a guy who you thought was cute. 
Did I bring that up? The, yeah, yeah. The guy from Weekend at Bernie's, the young guy with the dark hair. <laughs> I can't remember his name. I really should have. have we, we Jonathan re- somebody. Jonathan somebody. Okay, listeners. Text, Go- tweet. Google away. Google it. That was really insensitive of me to talk about how cute another boy was on a first date. I was confident. You were confident. You were wearing really nice, uh, tight suede pants. I wore suede pants. You were, were they real? Was it real suede? I don't remember. If it was real suede or fake suede, but they were like tight and brown. Well, so you remember the important things about the first date, <laughs> which is your, what I was wearing. <laughs> which was my pants, but not the name of the play. Yes. Okay, so we went to dinner first. Yes. Uh, which went well. Otto Rothschild's Bar and Grill. Remember that. Nice. Thank you. It doesn't exist anymore. I don't think. Went to dinner. Dinner went well. I was so nervous about dinner that I actually wrote down a list of possible topics for us to discuss. Uh, And I had it written down in my back pocket of my fancy tight pants. (laughs) Maybe I couldn't get the list out of my pocket because my pants (laughs) were too tight. I don't remember seeing the list back there. No, I didn't uh, have to take the list out because we had good conversation. So dinner went well. We went on to the uh, theater portion of the evening. And at the time, Jeremy worked at the theater. Yes. So I had a... uh... A little pass to go backstage of the other theater, the Amundsen, which was dark. There was no show playing. And I thought, wouldn't it be romantic to show uh, this cute girl, who is an actor, what it's like to stand on stage of this great big thousand seat auditorium when nobody is around? I thought that would be kind of romantic. It was a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't go so well. It was a great idea. But here's the problem. Little did he know that, yes, I was an actor, but I was a film actor. And that's kind of different from being a theater actor. And I really don't like it when people look at me. And I had uh, very purposely never done theater because the idea of standing on a stage and looking out at all those seats and all those people just staring at you, uh, you know, made me go into flop sweat. So we were backstage and looking at all the costumes and the props and it was really cool and I was like, look at this dude. Like I like him. He's confident and he's showing off his, you know, his work environment. And we come around the corner past this heavy curtain and bam. I'm standing on a stage with thousand seats there are no people in these seats but it is a thousand seats staring back at me <laughs> the seats are staring <laughs> the seats were staring. The eyes of the seats <laughs> the seats were staring and i had a panic attack here's how to have a fantastic first date start hyperventilating and crying while this boy is trying to do something nice for you and yet uh, fun, sexy time. It was a fun, sexy time for all of us. If there is snot running down your face on a first date, <laughs> you know you're doing something right. So anyway, that was a bit of a uh, a bumpy entry to our relationship. But here's the thing. It let you know very early on what you were dealing with. Yeah. 
I, I, I managed to pull myself together and we had a lovely time for the rest of the evening. Um, it was more than just panic attack and tight pants. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that could be the name of the next book. <laughs> panic attacks and tight pants. Anyway, apparently things went okay because we, we worked it out. But it did let you know very early on that you were dealing with an individual that had a panic disorder, had, has a panic disorder, and uh, is a little emotional and sometimes struggles with anxiety and occasional depression. So let's see, where do I want to officially start this interview? Was this all going to get edited out? <laughs> this was just all warm up. <laughs> so I guess the first question I want to ask is, in our 17 years together, what have you found to be most helpful in us navigating life with my anxiety and panic disorder? Mm. I think the most important thing is just realizing that it's not something I'm going to fix and that I just have to sort of be with you in that moment. And having been together for 17 years, I, I know pretty confidently that it passes. And so as long as I'm with you in that moment and we're talking about it and sort of experiencing it, and I don't know, I feel like if I can help you to talk about it, then that somehow helps it to release, right? It's like steam that's built up inside. And so if you talk about it and eventually it passes, but it's not about trying to fix it, you know, if you're feeling anxious about something, there's nothing I can say that's going to somehow, there's no, there's no magic phrase that makes that like I, I solve the problem somehow. So that's probably been the most important thing, I guess. Yeah. And I think that's super important. And that's kind of a point that we got to together, mm -hmm. right? This whole idea of like, you can't fix it. I'm not coming to you as like, I have this problem. Can you take this on and go find a solution for me? Yeah. Because I think for you and for a lot of people that are trying to support loved ones who have anxiety, the temptation is to make it better, right? The temptation is, let me take this from you and let me fix it. As a person who is dealing with some anxiety, I don't want to feel like I'm broken. I just want to feel like I can come to you and vent and have you hold my hand and say, wow, I'm sorry, that sounds really hard. Is there anything that I can do? And so I think that that's super important for people to know that, like, the responsibility is not on you. Mm -hmm. Well, and sometimes yesterday you were anxious about teaching a new yoga class, right? Going to a new room and a new studio um, and people who were expecting another teacher because you were substituting. And I totally knew it was going to go great. Like, I, like, knew. I'm like, I've seen this movie before. I know how this ends. You're going to, like, I'm going to see you at noon, and you're going to be like, that went great. But I couldn't tell you that because that wouldn't have helped. So I 
just have to sort of be patient and listen and say, you know, well, you're pre- are you prepared? And you had your, mm, what's it called? Your outline. The sequence. The sequence all mapped out and you had that and you were ready. And how did it all go? It was great. Yeah. <laughs> Which was not a surprise. So, <laughs> you know, but like, had I told you, ah, come on, it's going to be fine. That wouldn't have actually helped. Right. Because if you had done that, I would have felt like you weren't hearing me, Hmm. that you were negating my concerns, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that that was that's a great example of, of how that works. And, you know, if I felt like every time I came to you with something I was anxious about, I got kind of dismissed with look, you've done this 120 times, of course it's going to be fine, then it would have made me feel like you were saying, like, hey, just don't be a crazy person. Yeah. But the things that you said, like, hey, you're, you know, you're prepared. We met up afterwards, which was actually really nice for me to kind of know, okay, however this goes, it's only an hour and then babe and I are going to hang out and go get waffles and it's going to be great. And something else that you mentioned that I think is really important is this idea of, you know, this too shall pass, which is something it's taken a while for me to learn because when you are in the midst of a spiral, it's so tempting to think like, well, this is where I live now. This is just my life forever. And so I think for, you know, a a generally non-anxious person for you to realize that also my anxiety is not going to last forever is really valuable. So this is probably kind of a strange question, but I want to see if I can challenge you to answer it. Oh, golly. I want to know what it's like to not have anxiety. Which is kind of like asking you what it's like to not have diabetes. (laughs) You know, like, how would you know what it's like to not have anxiety? Yeah. But I think in general Mm -hmm. that you tend to have a very level way of looking at the world. And I love this example because I think it's just the the epitome of this, and I think it's super relatable to a lot of people. I want to go back to a few years ago when your company was acquired Mm -hmm. by another company, and it looked like a lot of people were going to be getting laid off, Mm -hmm. and it looked like you were probably going to be one of those people. And so... That's generally a situation that causes people anxiety, worry, stress, right? Getting laid off, situation beyond your control, what's going to happen next. But you had, to me, what seemed a truly bizarre reaction to that situation. Um, Do you want to talk about that a bit? Look, I like my job. I love what I do, but... I guess I felt like there would always be something else. Um, There would always be some other job and like, you know, there's a Starbucks near the house and I would be like totally happy working at the Starbucks. So I would come and order tea and flirt with you if you did that. (laughs) Well, who wouldn't really? (laughs) 
Who would? <laughs> no, no. I'm gonna kick her ass. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess I never let it really get me too worried. I guess, you know, nothing is permanent. There's sort of this, this Buddhist notion of meditating on death, which sounds super, super morbid. Um, I think whenever someone that you love or someone you're close to dies, you sort of get the importance of this moment in life and you understand what's really important. What's really important, you know, I have you in my life and, well, I think at the time we had Gracie, but now we have Olive and I have a family who loves me and we'll figure it out. So, yeah, I guess I don't worry about all that. That's kind of amazing. (laughs) (laughs) No, really. And I think that that's, it's so true. And I mean, not to be flippant about, you know, anxiety and, you know, the answer is not, well, you know, everybody's going to die, so just get over it. But I think this is a good time to kind of reflect on, like, priorities. Mm -hmm. And there are so many things that are outside of our control, right? Like, you might have been laid off, turns out you weren't, but there was really very little that you could do about that. So it just, it makes me think about that Mary Oliver poem, you know, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Like, this is all we got. And there is so much in the the external world that we cannot control. But, you know, our our internal experience and the way that we react to things, we can at least have some influence over that, some awareness of our patterns and some desire to maybe make them be a little bit more beneficial for us and maybe not get into that spinning anxiety of of freaking out about things we cannot control. So it's that whole thing, um, you know, therapists will often talk about thought patterns and not so much, you know, are they true, but are they productive? Are they beneficial? And it wasn't going to help you to get in this, you know, miserable state of anxiety about whether or not you got laid off because there was nothing you could do about it. Well, it's a little bit like, what's the worst that could happen? And it's actually a really productive exercise. And I think what it does is it forces you to stop thinking the same repetitive thoughts. Like, for better or for worse, I can get to like the total end game of the worst that happens. And then, yeah, okay, I lose my job and I go figure out what the next thing is if that were to happen. So, yeah, there's no sense in ruminating on it sort of understand what it is and prepare for that if it were to happen or try to help ensure that it doesn't happen, whatever that worst case is, whatever it is in that scenario. And I just loved at the time, I remember us talking about it and you saying that actually the possibility of getting laid off really helped you to feel less stress in 
the day-to-day things of your job because you were like, hey, this could just all go away at any moment. Yeah, I don't think on my deathbed, I I hope nobody remembers the PowerPoints I put together. (laughs) You put together some damn fine PowerPoints. I have seen them, and they're quite impressive. I do. I, I do. Thank you. No one will ever remember everything that you did, but everyone will remember how you made them feel. And so at the end of the day, that's the most important thing is how do I behave and interact and take care of the people I work with and whatever happens with work, be it, you know, the small successes and failures that we all have in whatever profession that we choose to the larger issues of losing our jobs. Did you at least make someone feel like they were cared for? Because maybe that's, that's all that matters at the end of the day. I love that. Something else I was curious about. As a person who has anxiety in a relationship with you, what are the things that I can do to help you deal with being married to me? Does that make sense? So are there things that are helpful for me to do? Like... There are times when I will feel like I'm being kind of bossy in telling you, like, literally step by step, here's what I need. Whether that's I need you to hold my hand or I need you to reassure me about this situation or I am deep in a panic and I need you to not touch me. So Do those things come across as, like, bossy and obnoxious? Or are those things helpful for you to understand what's happening with me? Oh, I like those things. It's, you know, I mean, like, it's sort of like uh, doing math in junior high and the answers are in the back. Like, you just sort of give me the answer key and I don't know, I, I guess I don't feel like I need to figure out some better way in order to help solve the problem. So, I mean, I think if like every day of our lives was that, that would be tiresome, but it's fairly rare, right? Like, and so when it happens, like, great, let me know. And I think you did that even on our very first date where you said, you know, maybe I just did it. I just put like my hand on your back and just kind of stood there. And that was all that I needed to do. But you're right. This too shall pass. And we get through it. Yeah. We go take the dog for a walk. Yeah. Everything's fine. And I think that's another really important thing that I really, really, really don't want it to be about my anxiety all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to feel like we are planning our lives around the fact that I have panic attacks and get stressed out. Like, I don't want that to be something that our relationship revolves around. So even in the midst of really stressful times, being able to do fun things together, Mm -hmm. whether, I mean, just simple things like walking the dog or, you know, like binging on some TV show or whatever. Yeah. Do you notice that I didn't mention what TV show? Because I feel really guilty about all the crap TV that we watch, so I just kept it generic. Like, oh, TV shows. I think I think we're lucky in that I am enough of an introvert that 
I like having time just sitting around the house. So if you're like, no, I don't really feel like I can go to the grocery store today. I'm kind of like, great. <laughs> That's fine by me. Let's just sit around the house and watch Homeland or Difficult People or whatever it is we happen to be watching at the moment. Those are actually high-quality choices that you, you brought up, so Thank that's you. good. Friday Night Lights is another Friday one. Friday Night Lights. Oh, my goodness. How did we miss that? that? How did we miss Friday Night we, Lights? We have recently started watching Friday Night Lights, and the fact that we have not been obsessed from the beginning is just, it's a crime. It is. It's also a crime how many times they make Friday Night Light references to people, and they're like, what are you doing? Is it 2005? What is wrong with you? <laughs> I also just read a Harry Potter book for the first time not too long ago. So, I don't know. We're a little delayed, but that's okay. Yes. We like to make sure that something is truly an important sociological reference before we yes. jump Spend on board. Spend our time on it, yeah. I think the introvert-extrovert conversation is very interesting as well. We are both introverts. Uh, I am much more introverted than you are. But you also work in an office with other people. So you kind of get that extroverted time in, whereas I <laughs> do most of my work from my closet, as you can tell, with the dog. So I think that that is really helpful in that, you know, both of us mostly prefer to be at home and just with the two of us. And so it's great to go out and have that time with friends. Dear friends, if you are listening to this, we love you. We love you, friends. Please don't stop inviting us to things. We really like going, but, you know, we will come home at nine o'clock and uh, we will probably not leave the house for the next 48 hours just to recover. And so I think that compatibility of both being introverted is really helpful. I know a lot of couples where one is an introvert and one is an extrovert, and they figure it out, but it does have this other sort of layer to it. And I think kind of negotiating the the social time and the quiet time can always be something that can be worked out. Yeah, I think in any relationship, it's important to, you know, be giving in some way, right? Like, I think it makes me feel better to, you know, give you what you need. But that's true of other people in my life as well, where it's like, oh, this person needs whatever it is. And I don't know, somehow that makes me feel better than just being selfish all the time and saying, I'm going to sit home and watch football and Game of Thrones. <laughs> you do that when I'm out of town. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, that's the other important thing, right? It's uh, having time away from loved ones is sometimes equally as important as spending time together, right? Like there is the uh, the fire analogy. Have you told them the fire analogy? Go ahead, tell them. This is, well, this is, now I'm telling them what you say, but I really like it, um, which is, you know, a relationship is like a fire or a flame and a fire needs oxygen in order to grow stronger. And so sometimes taking that time away from one another helps a relationship too be stronger and burn brighter. Oh, babe. Oh, we burn so bright <laughs> as you travel around teaching. Yeah, we're about to get a lot of oxygen in our relationship <laughs> as I go and do a number of retreats back to back, which I'm very excited about. And we'll get oxygen and we'll burn even brighter. 
and it happens to coincide with football season. So it's it's a win-win all around. <laughs> it is your, a win-win. your knitting is really going to suffer this football season. I do. I tend to take up knitting every football season because it gives me something to do during the games. So I can sit on the couch with you. And when you yell yay, I can yell yay. You don't really yell yay. You yell other things. <laughs> yay. Go team. Yay football. <laughs> <laughs> and so yay football is generally what I yell. Um, because I don't know, nor do I care, what is happening in the football game. Um, so I can uh, support you. In your football watching, and also I get a scarf. <laughs> <laughs> Big, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Because I can't actually knit anything other than flat things, so I can knit a scarf, sort of. Um, We've got some badass washcloths. We have some badass washcloths. Yeah, that's right. Another flat thing that I can knit. So. Yeah, this football season I will be traveling a lot, so we will have a deficit of scarves and badass washcloths, but um, I get to go teach and do retreats, so that'll be okay. Well, I think we will wrap it up here because the dog is getting restless. Yeah, and she's kind of kicking us and kicking the microphone, which I think means that signals the end of this podcast. That was a big sigh from a big dog. <laughs> Oh, her eye is so gross right now. Her eye is doing that. I'm asleep and rolling back in my head, but my eyelids aren't going to close. Okay, that's gross. The, the people didn't need to know that. Well, I wanted to officially thank you, babe. You're welcome, babe. For uh, coming into this closet with me and talking about anxiety and relationships and what's going to happen when you work at Starbucks, which I really look forward to because I think there might be perks in it for me as well. No, we, we don't compromise. There are no free drinks. Wow, hard ass. Well, thanks for talking to me. And Thank you for having me here. It was fun to hang out in your closet and talk about this. Thanks for being married to me. And, oh, that's the best. And uh, hopefully this has been helpful or at least mildly entertaining for, uh, for folks that have been in this situation of like, hey, I'm an anxious person in a relationship because it can be challenging it can be challenging enough to be in a relationship with ourselves and then figuring out how to involve another person in that can uh, bring some complications so if you have questions if you have comments if you have things that you want to hear more about you can certainly contact me go to embraceyourweirdpodcast.com you can find show notes links Maybe some very early on photos of Babe and I. I don't think we have any photos from our first date, but we have some photos where we look like very young babes. Very young children. So you can find all of that there. And I know you are loving the music. So that is a song called Beautiful from the band Redbird. You can find more from them at redbirdband.com. And thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate the support. You can rate this podcast on iTunes if you liked it. If you didn't like it, please don't rate it. And I will see you next time. Keep it weird, everybody. Mm -hmm.